What's going on, what it do world? Welcome to Market Banter. I am your host, Dion Rabowen. I'm a financial journalist. I write the Axios Markets newsletter. With me, as always, the impressionable, the incomparable, the people's champ. He is a comedian. He's a, I call him Joe Lunchbox, but his real name is Dan Enfield. Joe Lunchbox, I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's you, man. You are get on Def Jam someday, I'll be on my stage today. <laughs> Coming to the stage right now. Lunchbox. <laughs> that's, uh, that's good. Uh, you know, that, that name is also good because you don't know what that could be. If I could have a sledgehammer and, and watermelons like Gallagher. That would be weird. I could do impressions. You don't know what a Joe Lunchbox act looks like. Anyway. It could really be anything. Anyway. <laughs> this is market banter, man. Um, for those of you who don't know, thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, this is a show, really, the way I describe it, is a show for the people. Uh, we're breaking down what's going on in the world of finance and investing and the economy to help you understand what's going on with your money. Um, and we do that by not using a bunch of big words, not talking about 50-day moving averages and spreads and valuations and PE ratios, but really getting into the nitty gritty of what's real and what's not in the world of economics. Um, so thank you very much again for being with us. Today, we are talking about the only thing that matters to the markets. And that's the Federal Reserve, aka the Fed. That's what us cool insiders call it. Um, the Fed had a big meeting. It's, it's Jackson Hole meeting this week. It started up today. You had Fed Chair Jerome Powell giving a big speech this morning um, that everyone, the markets are all abuzz about. It's got the markets going up, hitting new highs like all over. Day, it's like a new high. It's crazy. It is. Yeah, yeah. And I should say, I should say, we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, this is going to be out on Friday. So if something crazy happens between when this is recorded and when the show comes out, we apologize. We're very sorry about that. Don't buy stock based on the new high. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't don't make any decisions in the market based right. on what we talk about on the show because we are a day behind. Um, speaking of a day behind, though, uh, looking forward a couple days to the weekend. Dan, what's going on, man? You got anything planned? Still knee deep in the move, move department. Still, still. How are you still moving? It never, it never fails. I realized like what a hoarder I am, and I realized how absurd my hoarding is. Okay. Because me and my wife are getting into arguments about what I want to keep and what she wants to throw away. And you know, your life's taking a sour turn when you're yelling about someone and like, no, I need that expired use and X. You know? <laughs> I'm not throwing out. I need that. I need that expired use and X. Are you, that's you. You're the one. I am. I'm, I'm trying to fight to keep five-year-old, you know, trying to dumb right now. Why? So uh, Why? I don't know. I don't like throwing stuff away. It's just, I have a weird thing. And maybe in the back of my mind, you know, phone cables, computer cables. I got to keep it. Maybe one day I'll need this. You, yeah. You explained this last time on the show yeah. and I was like, okay, that sounds sort of normal, but old Mucinex and Trident gum just makes you sound like a crazy person. <laughs> it really does. Yeah. I don't know why I'm fighting to keep the stuff, but it's just a matter of maybe like I, I pay for it. It's mine. You know, why would I throw it away? Yeah. Kind of thing. So it's just really, uh, it, it's absurd. It's one of those things I, I recognize about myself. I think we all have things that are like, this doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That is all right. Well, at least you recognize the first step to recovery is yeah. admitting you have a problem. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So we got I'm that powerless. going. I'm powerless over the trident gum and the, uh, <laughs> and, the, and, the and the age, you know, expired mucinex. And the expired yeah. mucinex, right, right. Um, one thing I do want to make sure that we touch on before we get to our guest, who uh, is 
going to drop some real knowledge on us about the the markets, uh, how he sees things, and the world of the Fed. But before we get to that, I really want to take a minute to make sure we talk about what's going on with the NBA, what's going on oh, yeah. with Major League Baseball, Major League Soccer. These players standing up and saying that we they're not going to play. Yeah, we oh, do. Wow. We do. Yeah, that's what yeah. it's called. Yeah. Uh, and and I just I was really moved by the decision to not play. It seems like they are going to come back and finish up the playoffs. But I think because we're in this world of 2020 that's so insane, where these crazy things happen every day, when something like this happens, we kind of we're like, oh, okay, all right, cool, and then we move on. And it's like I feel like I feel the need to shake me. Like, no, these people didn't play a playoff game. Crazy, and not one, not two, but three playoff games. They said that something was happening and they wanted to stand up and, and speak out on what's right. And they canceled playoff games. Right. Like that's, that's so crazy. And I know they're in the bubble and all that, but this is, this is the NBA playoffs yes. we're talking about here. And after having a layoff of a few months too and everything, and they were itching to get back. And right. I got to say, I'm rarely shocked. When I got that alert on my phone yesterday, I was shocked by that. I mean, it was, that to me, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. And it's. Give the Bucks a lot of credit. Give the Bucks a lot of credit. Uh, obviously, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, the Greek wow, freak. I can't pronounce it. It's I, you know what I've been working on it for a few years, yeah. uh, but obviously he had to be a, a big part of that. And LeBron James clearly was one of the leaders down mm-hmm. there in, in that effort. And and so it's just I'm really moved and inspired by what they're doing. And it just I think it's indicative of all the changes that are happening right now in our country and in the world. And I I watched this happen and. Playoff games were canceled over social justice. I remember, not that I remember because I wasn't alive, but I remember reading about how Bill Russell and some of the the old Boston Celtics didn't yeah. want to play an exhibition game in Kentucky, game. and that was that was such a huge deal, right? right? This is of a magnitude so much greater and so much more, I don't know, so much more meaningful. Uh, anyway, it's weird to transition from that back to the Fed, but that's what we're talking about, and our guest today. Uh, he is a, a fund manager. He he works in the asset markets. His name is Darius Dale. He is going to talk with us about the Fed speech and what that means for the markets and what it means for investment. Uh, Darius Dale, a managing director at Hedgeye Risk Management. Darius, you with us? Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you so much for for being on the show. And Darius, let's just jump right into it. Uh, like I said, there's no there's no cool segue to go from talking about you know sports and social justice to talking about the Fed. But if you're in this market, the Fed is the trade. So as you look at what they said today, how does this for you does it at all change the way you approach um, what you're looking at buying, how you're looking at buying, or or what moves you're making? No, uh, no, it doesn't change my or our approach at Hedge Act. Um, and more importantly, I, I don't think it should change any of your viewers' approach. Um, I think what we all should remember um, and what, you know, kind of the media wants you to forget, actually, is that the Fed is, is, is the, the tail whack or is the dog being whacked by the tail. And the tail is the economy. Um, so if you have an accurate forward view in the economy, you can predict, you know, the, the shape and quality and the tone of these speeches and, and events. And so with that in mind, you know, we have a view that the U.S. economy um, is transitioning from a depression uh, to a recession, not a recovery. Um, and that obviously has uh, profound implications for asset markets and ultimately what the Fed's going to do. Yeah. And Darius, I hear, I talk to people and 
what I've heard is that the Fed is managing the market, that that was the way that things were supposed to work, that the economy happened, the Fed just kind of stepped in, little, you know, made little pinches and changes here, but now the Fed is everything. Are you in that camp or are you in a are you in the opposite camp? No, no. I, I think the Fed is just reacting to the economy. Um, I do believe, you know, in 2020, it didn't happen today. I believe it happened in, in, in March and April. Uh, the Fed um, it sort of a, really shifted to a, a sort of asset price appreciation or quote unquote, you know, financial market stability mandate, uh, whereby they define stability as, as price appreciation. Um, you know, if you look at their primary and secondary market credit facilities, right. um, you know, you look at their Main Street uh, business lending program, which is been a dud thus far. But, you know, the reality is they, they implemented a lot of these tools and, you know, they're quote unquote transitory tools. But, you know, what we learned about every Fed program since the 2008 is that none of these tools are temporary. Um, right. So right. Effectively, and, what they're trying to do is, you know, manage the market higher uh, through the lens of, uh, you know, asset swaps. Exactly. And, and I wanted to go back to what you set up back there, which is that appreciation equals uh, stability, right? That, that means that for the market to be stable, stock prices have to go higher, correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so they defined uh, you know, financial stability as you know, sort of low uh, credit spreads, you know, markets generally functioning, uh, you know, bars who are solvent and, and have good credit metrics are able to tap the markets freely and, and, and you know, reasonable and, and right. attractive rates. Um, well, we, we, you know, we clearly traversed that, you know, by, you know, let's call it mid to late May, uh, certainly by, you know, the end of June, we were already there um, in terms of clearing some of those signals. So the fact that the Fed continues to buy and continues to sort of change its policy setting uh, to one that's more dovish at the margin in terms of their ultimate scope for their policy it's just imply it's just doubling down on what we all know to be true, which is, you know, the Fed's been, you know, Jay Powell is a former private equity lawyer. Um, you know, he's been put in the seat to do just this, which is, you know, make it easy for people in our industry to make money. Hmm. And so again, we had this meeting today at Jackson Hole, which is the Fed's big and it's central banking's big meeting. You get Fed or uh central bank governors from all around the globe, they come and they talk monetary policy blah, blah, blah. But the Fed saying that they're going to let inflation run hot, that doesn't change anything in your mind because I think there are a lot of people who are worried, oh my goodness, uh, what if inflation gets out of control? But you don't seem to be worried about that. No, no, no. I mean, we, you know, we're one of the firms that authored, if not the firm, that authored the, the reacceleration of inflation view. I mean, you go back to late May, early uh, early June, when most investors were still in the deflation camp, um, you know, we really started to say, "Hey, short the dollar, buy commodities," and we re- we've reiterated that at every lower high in the dollar sense. We've reiterated that at every higher low uh, across the commodity complex sense. And what you're seeing now is a broadening of, of participation um, across the commodities markets in conjunction with this. So, you know, we have a view that inflation is likely to accelerate both domestically and abroad over the next 12 months, and you know, potentially uh, well beyond that. I mean, the dollar. From a ninety-three on a DXY, it could go down, you know, 20 percent from here if is they're going to be this aggressive. Overall, do you think Darius? Or? Say that again. Sorry. Is that a good thing overall? Do you think, or does that kind of worry you from a you know, let's say you're just a regular consumer out there in the in society in America? Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great thing if you're one of the ten percent of us that own most of the equities. I mean, so you know, by the Fed's own metrics, you know, the top decile of the households by net worth own ninety-two percent of the stocks in this country. Um, you know, the bottom median of the top 10%, top 10% of households by net worth. 
Um, if you look at, you know, we did our own study, you know, early in the pandemic um, and just looking at consumers and, and 50% of consumers didn't have a thousand bucks of cash on hand as savings in case a, a rainy day struck. And obviously this is one of the biggest rainy days in U.S. economic history. So the reality is if you're if you're in the bottom 90 percent, you're getting completely torched at the stake uh, alongside the U.S., the credibility of the U.S. dollar uh, as a function of these policies. But in terms of your viewers, you know, assuming they have assets to invest, you know, that, you know, it's it's it is what it is. You got to take advantage of it um, and and put that money to work and things that are likely to work, including commodities. Um, You know, we like large cap tech here in the U.S. in conjunction with our quad three view growth, quality, size, and style factors. Um, you know, a lot of stuff's going to work um, in this reflationary environment. And it, it really sucks if you're the person on the outside looking in. Yeah. And there's, I talked about this on our show last week, the potential for the training wheels economy. And that's just basically the Fed does what it's doing in perpetuity. We've got the balance sheet. Maybe it goes to 10 trillion, 20 trillion, whatever it takes to keep these asset prices moving higher. Um, and, and the market expectation is just the Fed is going to keep doing that. I would ask you, I mean, is that your expectation? And how long can the Fed keep manipulating or, as some asset managers have called it, nationalizing uh, the market? Oh, they're going to do it. I mean, as long as they have the reserve currency status, which doesn't appear in threat uh, or under any material threat anytime soon, we're going to be able to do this. Um, now, again, it has implications for your asset mix. Um, the reality is, is, you know, that we, we have a view that the Fed's going to be more dovish than the average investor, um, because, again, we have a more negative view on the outlook for the economy, at least over the intermediate term, you know, pre-vaccine um, than, than most investors have. So obviously that Wait, you know, buys Darius, are more of the Fed. Relative sorry, Darius, can I go back to something you said about the reserve currency status? Because this is something that I've been talking to investors about for a while now. And it's, it's you know, anytime the dollar starts to fall, people start worrying, oh, the dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status. But can you talk about what that means and why that's important for the Fed to be able to do what it does? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll be very clear about this. The U.S. is very unlikely to lose its reserve currency status. There's, there's, there are no feasible alternatives. Um, you know, Europe doesn't have a real cohesive uh, capital market um, framework. Um, obviously, Japan doesn't want it. <laughs> UK doesn't want it. Um, and really, none of these economies have a big enough military to maintain uh, all the things that it takes to maintain the reserve currency status. Uh, China being one of those economies as well. They don't. They're, they're not in indirect threat as well. So. You know, but the reality is, you know, as long as we have the reserve currency, it allows us to be more aggressive at the margins and in, in, in size and scope with our monetary policy than we otherwise would. I mean, you, you look at look at Turkey is a prime example of a currency of an economy where the central bank and the fiscal authorities are you know, trying to reflate the economy and reflate asset markets without reserve currency status. And you see what happens. You have these sort of run out run, right. drawdowns in capital. You have these you know, runs on the banks, runs on the economy, runs on the stock market currencies and utter collapse, you know, that's what would happen if we lost reserve or currency status. But until we lose, you know, our, our, the size and scope of our military, it's very unlikely that we're going to do that. So it's the military that allows us to, to keep that reserve currency status. That's interesting. It's one of many, it's a very complex system, obviously You're talking about five and a half trillion dollars exchanging daily in the foreign exchange market. You know, I think the military is a big factor there. I think global payments networks are a big factor there. You know, the Bitcoiners of the world tell you that every transaction is going to be done with Bitcoin in six months. But, you know, obviously that's that's heresy at this point. Um, you know, yeah, the reality is we, we just have a system in place that, A, doesn't really work. You know, clearly there's a lot of you know poverty in our own country and a lot of inequality in our own country. And obviously it's exacerbated when you go outside of the U.S. borders. The system's not working for everyone. The system's working for the people with capital. You know, never forget America is a capitalist society. If you have capital, 
the Federal Reserve, the U.S. Treasury, Congress are all working very hard to make you richer. If you don't have capital, i.e. you're a normal person working to save, working nine to five or 10 to six to save your you know, money to, to, to you know, hopefully retire someday, then you're on the outside looking in and it sucks. And you know the reality is until we elect leaders that acknowledge that um, as, a, as a real flaw in our system, it's going to keep going. And so we got to mm. take advantage of that as investors. Right, right. And so it's, it's your view that this continues, that there's no end in sight. Uh, well, no, I, I wouldn't say that there's no end in sight. I'm not sure that there's an end in sight over the near term. I mean, we're kind of squarely still in the middle of this fourth turning framework. Um, this is a work done by my colleague, Neil Howe, who's the world's foremost, you know, foremost demographer and generational theorist. You know, back in the mid 90s, uh, he had a framework that identified 2020 as a year with a lot of tumult, both globally, both domestically and globally, um, where you could see a lot of kind of dissension um, from a geopolitical perspective. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, kind of this this age old war between, you know, generational you know, wants and needs and dreams. And the reality is you have the baby boomers who are struggling to maintain power and struggling to continue to siphon resources to their their goals um, right. against an uprising millennial you know, class that is, you know, has, has a different agenda in terms of green this and, you know, that green that and all these other things, you know, maybe a more social, uh, socially harmonious society. But, you know, that's just different from how the Gen Xers and baby boomers think. So until you know, we saw that, you know, we ultimately know who wins that. Obviously, time is, is the, the time is not on the By the time is undefeated. Exactly. So we know who wins that, but we it's not clear that that's going to be near term. That might be something that's closer to 2028, 2030. So we're, we're squarely in this this war uh, between generations uh, right now. Wow. There's a lot of a lot of strong terms there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that was so a, lot of, a lot of numbers yeah. backing them up, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Any stuff. So is it so Darius, last question I'll ask you. We got about 10 seconds before I gotta let you go, but is it still BTFD by the F and dip? Is it still Tina? There is no alternative? Is it is it still, you know, buy whatever is left? Or are you saying that commodities are gonna outperform stocks? Or should people just stick in those, you know, the Fangman stocks, the the what they've called the S P five, just the big tech stocks, or do they need to start diversifying? Uh, yeah, I know I have 10 seconds here, but uh, it, it, your your clients would be remiss to sort of invest with those kinds of what I would consider to be lazy narratives. I'll just run down a quick list of things we like on the long side. Um, so at the equity index level, NASDAQ, at the equity sector level, tech, at the equity style factor level, we like growth, quality, size. Um, in terms of global equities, we like, you know, D-Levered EM, which is China, Taiwan, Indonesia, Russia. We like Northern Europe, Norway, Finland, Denmark. Um, and then in the fixed income markets, we still like, uh, we think the long bond has value. Uh, we think tips and emerging market hard currency debt and IG have value as well. Um, you know, certainly over the next, you know, three to four months. That's a, that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot of stuff to like. Absolutely. Um, Darius Dale, thank you so much for, for being with us. That's Darius Dale, Managing Director at Hedgeye Risk Management. Thank you so much. That was great. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so I just want to, you know, decamp and, and debrief a little bit of, of the things that Darius was talking about there on the line, because I know if you're not a sophisticated investor, you know, we're, we're talking right now, we're at about level 10 and I want to bring it down a little bit to level one or two here. Probably below that. <laughs> uh, when we're talking about the Fed and, and monetary policy, basically the Fed is the central bank and their role is to control the cost of money more or less. Their whole role was that they were put in place to keep inflation from getting out of control, to harness the the cost of money. So it's like when you go out, when you got your credit card and you buy something on a credit card, 
and you pay it off. If you don't pay it off immediately, you get charged interest. Uh, when you buy a car, a house, you get interest payments on it. Those interest payments are basically controlled more or less by the rates that the Fed sets. And right, yeah. yeah, well, no, by the Fed. So the Fed right, sets the rates, the rate, right, and right. then the banks kind of work from that. So it's like if the Fed sets the sets U.S. interest rates at five percent, your bank is going to charge you seven percent on a house, and ten percent on a car, and twenty percent on a credit card. And then if the Fed raises rates to seven percent, the Fed's going to set your rates on a house at you know. 10% instead of 7% and so on and so forth. So the Fed is the base from where all this comes. And what's really interesting about what they did today is they've basically said this central mandate, the the reason for our being, the whole reason for central banks to exist, we're not that worried about that anymore. We are now going to take our focus to keeping labor markets tight and making sure that more people have jobs and to trying to make sure that business functions. And really what that means is exactly what Darius was talking about. It means that stocks go up because what the Fed can do is it can manipulate monetary policy. It can keep interest rates low, which means that more people can borrow money and it's cheap to borrow money. So if you can go to the credit markets and get access to capital, you can just keep borrowing more money. So even if you're not making any money with your business, you keep borrowing, you keep going back to the well, you borrow, and you can keep yourself afloat for a long time. Also, the Fed is doing this thing called bond buying. Well, they call it quantitative easing, but essentially they buy the bonds that the US government sells and it's a whole thing. But what Darius's point was, and this is a point that I've heard more and more, and this used to be a tinfoil hat uh, wearing, you know, Ron Paul. Ron Paul, guys on a weird chat room that you had to have six passwords to get into. Yeah, right, right. The Fed, they'd say the Fed's manipulating the economy. They say the Fed's manipulating the markets. They're determining asset prices. And you just had Darius Dale from Hedgeye Risk Management telling us, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. And if you're not in the investment market, you're losing. Mm. You're outside. You're outside looking in. Right. If you are not buying stocks, and he he said his his view wasn't BTFD and Tina, but that's that's a lot of what he said is buy tech stocks, uh, buy the Nasdaq, mm. because those are the big companies that are outperforming right now. Right. And he's basically said the Fed central mandate now they've moved on from controlling inflation because inflation hasn't been an issue for ten years. Now what they're worried about is keeping asset prices high. Which is asset prices meaning stocks, meaning mostly stocks, okay. yeah, but also bonds. If you actually look at the return on the thirty-year Treasury this year, or just long bonds, long-dated bonds, they're up twenty percent. The Nasdaq's up about thirty percent, and uh, silver is up about forty-eight percent. We you talked about silver, that. Yeah, silver, silver and the gold, right? Yeah, yeah. silver and gold. Gold's up thirty percent, and those assets are very different. But What's really interesting about that is, yeah, the Fed has kind of turned from the central bank that's worried about keeping prices in check for us, for consumers, so that inflation doesn't get out of control and go crazy, to making sure that asset prices stay high, which is an incredible shift. Mm. And a lot of people aren't aren't aware of that or they're not they're not investing that way. Mm. They keep thinking that this this is a fundamental driven market. And then at some point, the actual businesses are going to matter. And as you're seeing, Dan, you were talking to me about this earlier. You're saying for a regular working guy out there trying to make sales, 
everyone's like, ah, oh, no, we, we're not, we're not yeah, buying. It's been rough. It's been, a lot of people are in a holding pattern with all the uncertainty going on. But my question, I guess, would be for you or Darius would be understanding. I, I definitely see what he's saying about how, you know, the people that are deep in the market are the ones that they're concerned about helping. Whereas the nine to five worker is not so much is going to kind of be on the outside. I guess my question on that would be, couldn't you argue that the, the not, let's say like the nine to five worker that doesn't invest in the market doesn't really have as much to lose if they're not invested? What do you right. mean by not as much to lose? Well, like, so I guess if you are a big, you know, like, like to his example of helping the people who are deep in the market with the capital and all that stuff, a market, let's say if the stock market tanks tomorrow, they're way more leveraged, I guess, or their risk is yeah. much higher. Whereas if I'm just a nine to five guy working and I'm not investing, whether well, the market's up or down, it's not really going to make much of a difference to me if I don't have a 401k or yeah. whatever. Yeah, no, that's that's completely true. It's very right. true. But what he's saying is the Fed is going to make sure that, like we saw in March, if asset prices do fall, if the stock market crashes, it's going to come back. Mm-hmm. They're going to buy bonds. Um, they're going to buy U.S. debt, now, yes. and they're going to do whatever it takes to get those stock prices back up. Right. And while, as we've seen again since March, as the U.S. economy has crashed, as 30 million people are getting unemployment benefits, as we're in this deep hole as a country and as an economy, the Fed can't really do anything. I mean, they could, you could argue, but that's not what their mandate is. What they're doing is they're just keeping asset prices high. And the people who are reaping the rewards are CEOs because most of their salary is based on the company's stock price. Stock buybacks and stuff like that. Doing stock buybacks, yeah. yeah. Um, And obviously companies, corporate boards, but also investors, people who are in the equity markets, people who are buying stocks and who are, you know, the, the way that you participate in the recovery is to buy stocks. And that's never been the case because, again, as Darius mentioned when he started, only about 10%, 10% of US households own 90% of the assets out that's there. Wild. I didn't know that. Yeah, because you know, you got a, a working stiff like you or me, we might own, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, something in our 401k. Right. Right. But we we're don't it. we're not deep in it. And we don't have the wealth to be deep in it. Because or maybe even the bandwidth to understand it. Right. Well, it's, 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 I mean, again, the idea that he's saying is just that stock prices, stocks go up. And it's this thing that's actually been communicated very, I think, adroitly by a DVD global, global day trader. Oh, oh, that, that schmo from Barstool. Yeah, yeah, the schmo from Barstool, right? The guy with the, pe- the viral pizza reviews. Yeah, yeah, the guy with the viral pizza reviews. Didn't he he's, lose like 200 grand though or something? He lost. Yeah, right? he lost, but then yeah. he made it back oh, because, it back. because this whole thing was like stocks only go up. Okay. So he just like, he bought more. And that's actually what what Darius is saying is that's actually right now the astute uh, investment hypothesis. And when I talk about BTFD, buy the effing dip, that really is it's what Wall Street traders have been saying for about a decade now. It's like you can do all this fundamental analysis if you want, but at the end of the day, man, just buy the dip. By the dip, meaning like the when stock prices go down, oh, buy. Oh, right, right, right. If they go, because you know, like prices go down on any given day, right, you might right, have right, something right. happen. The market gets a little scared, so prices go down. That's the opportunity to buy more, and then they're only going to go up because Jerome Powell and the Fed have this mandate to inflate the equity market. Mm. And like I said, this used to be a fringe perspective. This used to be something that you didn't say out loud if you thought it. It was This was kind of the, the founding belief behind zero hedge. 
you know, the guys that started up this financial, it was, it used to be this kind of underground, very fringe Zero website, Hedge. Zero Hedge, but now it, it's more- like a Tom Clancy novel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's funny. They've, they've become pretty mainstream actually. Okay. It was a bunch of guys. It, yeah. yeah. It's guys from kind of uh, Bear Stearns and, and, you know, I think Lehman, one or the other, but who got a bunch of them got laid off and they started writing these crazy things that sound, you know, the things that sounded crazy about the market that actually turned out to be really true. And uh, yeah, that's where we are now. I want to really quickly read a quote that I got from uh, my guy, Scott Minard. And I want to read this because I think it really encapsulates where we are right now in the equity markets. I read a quote last week from Bank of America. Scott Minard is the global chief investment officer of Guggenheim Partners. He's an advisor to the New York Federal Reserve. Um, so when I, I say that to say that this guy isn't some kook. So basically what he says is, and this is a direct quote, free market enterprise no longer exists. The Fed, by essence of what it's doing, has taken control of the market. I say that to say it seems crazy and it seems counterintuitive, but the smart guys on Wall Street right now are just saying, buy the stock market. Don't ask questions, just buy. Which is kind of what I, I mean, not to get off the rails, but I kind of want to, uh, I mean, obviously a guy like Darius is incredibly smart. He really eloquently, uh, you know, stated his position and everything, but it's, it's all, it's just fascinating to me because it's like, you're like, you were saying, I mean, you could do analysis to death, you know, hours and hours of research, and then you can come up with a conclusion that you may have just done on your own anyway, though. Right. I mean, something kind of obvious. Yeah. 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 It's sometimes the most obvious thing is, is the most obvious thing. Right. (laughs) Anyway, with all that said, you've got the jobs report coming up Ooh, next week. I can't wait. Right? And this is the thing that still seems to matter to politicians. And I kind of wonder, and we're going we're gonna to get into this a little bit next week, but does the jobs report really even matter? I don't know. I, I love the, the spreads on it. I mean, as a layperson, it's like it could be anywhere from you know negative 500,000 to add 2 million. Jobs. Right? Yeah. It could be. <laughs> or, or 7 million jobs. Right, like yeah. there is, there kind of is no... Um, I don't know, area. Like it could, right. it could be anything. It could be anything. It could be anything. I don't really know. I mean, it seems like whenever these, this data comes out, there's, it's, it's also politicized now. I feel that like there's a hundred analysts on both sides of the aisle showing you either why it's amazing or why it's BS. Right. And so you don't really know what to believe. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, it seems to only matter to politicians, but we're going to save that yes. for next week. So uh, my week is the job. <laughs> highlight of my week. Jobs day is the best day on econ yeah. Twitter and finance. Twitter. So yeah. like, you know, I feel like it's like what like a father would say to like their unemployed kid, like see this, see this goddamn jobs report get out there and find a job. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. On that note, this has been Market Banter. I am Dion Raboan. Uh, he is Dan Enfield. Oh, yeah. This is Market Banter. Thank you so much for being with us.